Welcome to Medicus, a student-run podcast about any and all things in the world of medicine. Follow along as we interview outstanding individuals about important topics in healthcare. All right, what is up, guys? Um, we have an awesome episode today for y'all. Uh, we have a vascular surgery M4 specialty podcast. Uh, I'm super excited to talk uh, to my two uh, really good friends, Melissa and John. Um, they're uh, fourth year students at Loyola Stritch, and uh, they recently just matched into vascular surgery. Um, so we're excited to kick off the uh, M4 specialty series again. And I'm um, just really excited to get to get to talk to you guys, kind of pick your brains about vascular surgery and, um, you know, essentially like any tips you have for matching. Um, so thanks. Thanks so much, guys, for for coming on and, uh, you know, looking forward to talking with you. So, you know, let, I guess we'll just kind of jump in and start with uh, just some introductions. So, uh, Melissa, if you want to go first, um, you know, who are you and take us through your journey in medicine thus far? Sure. Hi, I'm Melissa D'Andrea and I'm from Middletown, Connecticut. I'm a fourth year. I've matched into vascular surgery at University of Arizona, Tucson. And how I became interested in medicine was my family was affected by breast cancer. Early on, I knew I wanted to volunteer in the community and shadow physicians. I was an EMT and also did a mission trip or outreach trip to Ghana and worked in clinics and hospitals there. I was pre-med and knew I wanted to do a surgical subspecialty uh, since my family was treated by surgical oncologists. I first year of medical school, I reached out to several surgeons to do research and I found vascular surgery that way. Awesome, well, thank you so much for coming on. How about you, John? Uh, yeah, great to be here, Alec. Thanks for having us. Um, so my name is John Halston. Um, I'm originally from Sacramento, California. Um, I recently just matched into uh, the Integrated Vascular Residency at uh, UC San Diego. Um, so I'll be staying in California and hopefully, um, we're luckily getting out of the, uh, the cold weather of Chicago, which is always nice. Um, <laughs> uh, so I went to, the under I went to undergrad um, at Notre Dame. They don't have a med school, so I think one of the reasons uh, they're really good at getting kids into med school. It's a really strong pre-med program. Um, so if you want to do medicine, they have um, really all the resources um, really at your disposal to to get into med school. I think what drew me to medicine was um, kind, of, kind of a combination of things. You know, I think from a really young age, I'd always been really into just helping people, helping my friends out. I was always interested in fixing people's problems, um, whether it was social or physical. I, uh, I really actually didn't like my science classes that much, um, probably until college, to be honest. Um, high school was fine, but I didn't know what I wanted to do. I, you know, I, I was kind of leaning toward medicine um, only because, like Melissa, my family was also stricken by, you know, by certain diseases that really kind of uh, thrust me into the field of medicine in the sense that my grandmother was diagnosed with Louis, Louis body dementia, which, as bad as it sounds, is, is actually worse than Alzheimer's. She outlived her prognosis by like 15 or like 10 to 15 years, actually, which was pretty remarkable. But, uh, you know, she was I think her disease was really the first my first exposure to um, to any sort of any just in medicine in general. And I think what struck me the most was just how 
her medical care and her physicians um, and everybody involved in her care, how not only how it impacted her, but how it impacted um, her family, me included. I think it was very inspiring for me. Um, and I think it's something that really kind of sparked my interest in medicine. And that being said, I, you know, I decided to do pre-med. I'm an undergrad and luckily it got me where I am today. So, uh, yeah. Yeah, congratulations um, to you both, especially with Match too. Um, you know, it's still kind of like fresh. Uh, we're recording this, uh, you know, essentially a couple of weeks out of Match. So, um, you know, congratulations to you both. You definitely deserve it. Um, but I would like to, you know, talk a little bit more about going into vascular surgery specifically. Um, you know, what what drew you to pursue vascular surgery? And, uh, you know, I'm actually not, I, I forget if, you know, John, you were saying that there's like kind of the integrated, you know, vascular surgery. Melissa, I believe that's that's what you're in, correct? The the categories, yeah. Um, so is there still like an other options uh, of going to do gen surgery and then doing like a fellowship in vascular? Is that mostly transitioning to kind of the integrated uh, specialty? Yeah, so to clarify, there is an integrated route and it began in 2007. A few programs like University of Michigan and University of Pittsburgh uh, started and more and more programs have begun. Now there are about 64 programs and some are just beginning like John's program in San Diego as well as a few more. Um, so it's definitely a growing track where you can be oral uh, board certified in five years. However, the track to go through general surgery and then into the fellowships still exists. And unlike plastics, those fellowships aren't decreasing. There's still a huge need for vascular surgeons and the fellowship are still going strong. And it's definitely a possibility to uh, go both ways. Um, in the general surgery path, you'd end up being dual board certified. So yeah, what drew me to vascular surgery? I think Loyola has a really strong program and there are several female vascular surgeons that make it more of a welcoming, welcoming environment for female physicians. And you can kind of see yourself in their shoes. There's also a vascular surgery interest group that students can become involved in and participate in panels early on. So that's what happened to me. They also do research with students through the summer research program. And, um, yeah, so I reached out to Dr. Alavola. She's been my mentor for four years now and really took my particular interest in health disparities and peripheral arterial disease and created a project looking at uh, reducing amputation rates in um, minority patients. So yeah, that's where the uh, impetus began. And you can also in vascular operate all over the body and there are each case is really different each person's anatomy is different and it's a life-saving you can do a lot of life-saving interventions like preventing aneurysmal ruptures preventing massive strokes with carotid interventions and um, even doing more simpler procedures like 
AV fistula access or vein ablation. So it's a great variety and you can, once you're in the specialty, choose what your own specialty even within the specialty can look like. Yeah, that's amazing. Yeah, it seems like there's a ton of variety that you can, you know, engage in with within the field of vascular surgery. Um, John, do you have anything uh, to add? What what kind of drew you to to vascular? Yeah, I think just going all the way back to talk about uh, the just to touch back on uh, what Melissa was talking about with the integrated versus the um, mm-hmm. traditional track. I think it's it's great that the fellow, you know, there's a lot a lot more programs are um, having are opening up integrated programs um, in the sense that you know you're just board-certified board certified in vascular surgery. Um, you know, your gen surge training is integrated within your vascular training. Um, you're, it's, it cuts down on um, the time that you have to, you know, the, the number of years you have to spend training, um, which is great because you can start making a salary earlier, especially for, for most people who have loans. And it's always great to be able to start making a physician salary, salary earlier on. Um, but I think it's great that, like she was saying, that fellowships really haven't gone away. Um, I think that the um, there's merit to having both fellows and integrated residents at an institution in the sense that fellows have a lot more open surgery and general surgery training, but, you know, the integrated residents may have a little bit more, um, have early, early, more early exposure to um, endovascular training and be on the wire and the cath lab and everything. And so they can really, when, when fellows and integrated residents work together, there's a lot that they can offer to each other and help each other learn, which is why I think it's great that a lot of programs actually have both fellows and integrated residents. My program included, um, I, you know, I actually don't know at this point if UC San Diego will continue the fellowship once they have a full complement of integrated residents, but um, it's, it's, you know, they, I think the fellows and the integrated residents work great together. So moving into, I guess, to why I chose vascular. Um, so actually a lot of my clinical exposure prior to med school was with the thoracic surgery service back in Sacramento, uh, my hometown. Um, I'd spent a few summers with them throughout undergrad and then um, between undergrad and med school, I actually spent a year with them. I was in the OR a lot. I was helping out on the floor. I was helping out with some research projects. And so coming into med school, I actually really thought I was going to be a thoracic surgeon all the way up until third year, actually. And then I decided to rotate with the vascular service on my, uh, for my, my third year gen surge clerkship. And I really just loved it. You know, vascular is kind of a hidden specialty in the sense that everybody thinks that it's, you know, it's, it's. It's thrombosed, you know, uh, thrombosed arteries in the middle of the night that you're being called in to fix, or it's a ruptured aorta you're being called in the middle of the night to fix. Essentially, the general theme there is that you're called in the middle of the night to fix or do most of your surgeries. However, that's really not the case. You know, I was really drawn, I was really uh, drawn to and um, and really inspired by all the, the open surgeries that vascular surgeons do. We operate literally everywhere in the body from the skull base down to the toes, um, or at least the feet. And you don't really see that in a lot of other specialties. When we're in the OR, we're opening up patients. So, um, you know, you get to get your hands dirty, you know, for somebody who, who's really drawn to surgery, um, it's great to not, and I'm not discounting, you know, using the robot, the robot or any laparoscope or thoracoscope, but, um, you know, you're really, you're really, your hands are dirty all the time when you're in the operating room. There's another side to vascular that I think a lot of people don't realize, and that's the endovascular um, aspect of vascular surgery, which is growing and um, honestly, is probably over 50% of cases now that vascular surgeons do, depending on where you are in the country. But I'd say that, you know, if you, what, what I guess what really drew me to vascular surgery as well as the cath lab, um, then a vascular suite and the hybrid suite, of course, I really loved all the different catheters, all the different wires, all the different stents and grafts and, um, and, and devices that 
can be used to treat any sort of lesion or aneurysm or rupture or anything. It's really exciting and it's constantly growing. Um, and it was really, I just, I, I really loved it. I actually, you know, before my, my, my clerkship, I had no idea that vascular surgeons did that stuff. Um, and I, I was immediately drawn to it. And I think that's, I ended up changing my mind actually, you know, right after my, my, my third year clerkship and I was gung-ho vascular surgery at that point. And I think, you know, based on that, I was a little bit reluctant or I was a little bit, uh, hesitant to do so just because I know it's a very competitive field and, you know, uh, you need a lot of research in that field and, um, you need, um, you know, references, letters of recommendation, everything. Um, luckily we have such a great department here that they're very supportive of everyone, me, Melissa, um, and others who, who, um, match into vascular surgery They're They're all very supportive of us. So it was no issue at all for me to switch late. Um, I do regret switching later, or at least not exposing myself to more surgery, surgical specialties in med school, um, particularly vascular surgery. Um, but I'm glad that I eventually found it before it was too late. And, uh, I'm really happy to be going into such an exciting field. Yeah, that's awesome. I'm, I'm so happy for you guys. And, you know, John, just a quick follow up on, on something. I just want to dig a little deeper about, you know, you were originally coming into medical school with this you know, cardiothoracic experience. Uh -huh. um, and, you know, what, what was like the turning point? Was it like a, you know, obviously the, the vascular rotation you really enjoyed um, and, and kind of were exposed to that, but what made you switch kind of after realizing like, what, what was the thing that you had to let go of cardiothoracic um, that you were like, oh, you know what? I actually really like this about vascular more um, that really tip you over the edge to pursue the specialty. And then Melissa, if you have, were you ever debating between two fields or were you kind of just like, you know, vascular all the way? Um, but I guess we can start with John first. Yeah. You know, um, I think one thing that really opened my eyes, especially to vascular surgery compared to thoracic was that when you're in the operating room, you're, you know, you're cutting, you're suturing, you're bovying, you're, you're tying, you're doing everything within thoracic surgery, you know, and not to disparage thoracic surgery in any way, because an incredibly exciting field as well, um, an amazing field, but you do use the thoracoscope a lot and robotic um, lobectomies and even like pneumonectomies and what, and biopsies on lungs. Those are becoming more and more popular and more and more common. And I was just a little bit pushed away by that. I think I liked more the open surgeries. That being said, hearts are also, you know, if you do hearts, um, you know, valve replacements, cabbages, uh, that's also another aspect of thoracic surgery. And those are obviously open, but I didn't really want to do hearts. I, I thought that was, if I was going to do thoracic, I'd do thoracic oncology. So just operating in the chest and the lungs and the, the foregut, like the esophagus for the most part. But I think I just love the open aspect of it. Uh, I think that's what really kind of made me realize that I, I didn't want to do thoracic as much as I wanted to do vascular surgery. Um, that being said, there are a lot of, you know, I'll, I'll probably be exposed to thoracic a lot in my training, my vascular training. And there's always the option to do a, uh, you know, a thoracic fellowship if I'm really interested. It's not as common anymore, but it still happens. I actually ran into one of the, the residents, uh, one of the, the senior residents at uh, vascular residents at Methodist in Houston. He's actually going to, from what I learned in my interview, he's going to be going to Loyola actually and the next, next year, I think to do a, to do a cardiothoracic fellowship after his vascular training at Methodist. So people still do it, but, uh, I, I don't know. We'll see. Usually I think if you want to do hearts more, you do that. Um, cause thoracic oncology and vascular are kind of two completely different fields. Um, but uh, yeah, going back, I think one of the things that really drew me and really helped me make the decision to switch was just the, the open aspect of vascular surgery, which I love so much. 
Yeah, and to answer your question, Alec, for me, the decision was between surgical oncology and vascular. I rotated on both in my third year, and I found that surgical oncology was more depressing, almost a little too close to home with cancer diagnoses. And I realized I loved operating in the abdomen from surgical oncology, but I still could get that with vascular. And like John said, with thoracic in vascular, we'll still be exposed to combo cases with neurosurgery, with surgical oncology. We help surgical oncologists do a lot of resections of cancers that invade the IVC or the aorta. So there's always areas to collaborate and share unique aspects of other special surgical specialties. That's awesome. And, you know, something I picked up, uh, you know, there's, there's an, uh, there's an ability to do a fellowship off of vascular surgery. You know, it's not, you, you can just obviously go to, uh, you know, just be a vascular surgeon, quote unquote, just be a vascular surgeon. right? <laughs> uh, but, you know, you can also like subspecialize. And can you, either of you take us through kind of what options there are after residency? And if you're interested in any options as of right now, you know, John, you said maybe, maybe, you know, thoracic, but yeah, I met one resident at Yale who's a fifth year now, and she's going to do almost like a super fellowship, but in Canada, University of Toronto, where they do a lot more open aortic surgery than the United States, particularly in New York City and bigger cities, a lot of the care is moving towards endovascular techniques and using all percutaneous access and minimally invasive surgeries. So, you know, going to other countries, uh, practicing for a couple years elsewhere can really make your practice uh, widened and you can develop unique techniques. Yeah, I also, yeah, going off what Melissa was saying, I think um, for the most part, it's you know, the vascular surgery training programs, you really get exposed to everything you need to be exposed to, to operate um, independently as a vascular surgeon, pretty much anywhere in the country. Um, but they still, I think super fellowships do still exist. Um, I don't think it's as popular as you'd see in other fields like plastics or ortho or um, even neurosurge, but they do exist. And for the most part, I think, at least from what I've heard, it's not very popular. So I don't know a lot about it, but I think it's usually like complex aortic or like Melissa was saying, like open aortic, usually mostly in the aorta, because that's obviously, um, you know, a really big part of vascular surgery. So open, like Melissa was saying, um, especially in Canada, where they do a lot more open aortas. And then in the United States, there's a lot more, or they have complex aortic fellowships, which essentially are just, um, you know, uh, complex aortic um, endovascular procedures are becoming more and more common. And as we switch, as the, the paradigm moves from open to endovascular for um, aneurysms that, you know, are very complex in their anatomy, so will the, uh, the complexity of the endovascular surgeries that we do. And sometimes with these massively complex aortas that are done endovascularly, some programs that you, that you train at won't do those as much. And so that's probably why some people will do those fellowships. I've also heard of some like peripheral vascular fellowships I don't know too much about those. And then also, I think they, it's not as common now, but I think they have endovascular fellowships for those back in the day when vascular is mostly open and everybody was trying to get their endovascular numbers. They would, you could do an endovascular fellowship 
However, that's not really the case now because most programs are at least 50% endovascular, if not more. So I think for the most part, vascular surgery fellowships after you're done with your vascular training are not as common from what I understand. Gotcha. Okay. Um, is there anything about this field that you dislike? Yeah, some of the things that come to mind for me are that the specialty maybe isn't as diverse as some students might wish they'd be. Um, among the SVS members, they're only 2% African-Americans. It's just kind of been more of a white male dominated field. Another part of the field that a lot of people dislike could be that the, our patients don't really always get better. Sometimes vascular surgery is almost like a palliative, um, palliative service. A lot of patients have end-stage renal disease, uh, vascular disease throughout their body, and may have bilateral amputations, just really sick, infected, aortic grafts, uh, dissections along their entire aorta. So you can imagine that these patients are, are pretty sick. And then the in interventions that we do, for example, bypasses, uh, once a patient no longer has vein grafts as options, the patency for some of the PTFE and Dacron grafts aren't as good. So you'll have patients thrombose over and over again and have three or four bypasses in each leg. And you just feel like you're never really curing them of the disease that they have. So in one sense, it could be seen as a positive thing because you get a longitudinal partnership with your patients and they really trust you and follow you for years and years. And on the other hand, uh, it could be frustrating. And a lot of vascular surgeons see burnout because uh, some of the interventions don't work or they cause, you can cause uh, worse problems with thrombose bypasses. So yeah, there's always a downside to every specialty, but there's also really great outcomes uh, like saving limbs and uh, helping a patient walk again. Yeah, that's, that's exactly right, Melissa. Um, I think those are exactly all the things that I think people would be pushed away from or uh, reasons that somebody would not wanna pursue a career in vascular surgery. In essence, I, yeah, I, I, it's exactly right that we're just, you know, we're, we kind of stand in the way of patients um, losing legs or, or limbs or dying. And sometimes we can't stop that from happening. But, it, and, you know, it's not, sometimes, you know, it's not really a curative thing that we're doing. Um, it's either, it's really just preventative. Um, although once in a while we do, you know, we do save lives, either if it's trauma or, um, you know, like a rupture or dissection or acute thrombosis, like we do save lives here and there. But, um, like Melissa was saying, it's really just, it's really just kind of in delaying the inevitable, so to speak. That being said, you know, at the end of the day, um, all, you know, all doctors really do is uh, everybody's going to die at some point and all doctors do is really delay the inevitable. So 
Um, I know it's a grim way of looking at it, but you can you can really take that mindset and, and apply it to pretty much any other field. I think it's just it's it's more apparent vascular surgery because of the morbidity and mortality that we experience compared to other fields. Yeah, that's a great point. Wow. Um, is there any like other stereotypes or assumptions about your specialty that maybe you've heard externally when you were first going into the field? And is there any truth to those stereotypes? Yeah, I guess the stereotypes could be, you know, surgeons are very strict. They're, they can be mean or rough around the edges. Uh, if you're not on time in the morning, some stereotypes, we are morning people, we round in the morning, we uh, are very efficient. But those things, I mean, you have to be that because in the, at the end of the day, you're cutting open a person and you have to be confident in those skills and you're taking people's lives in your hands, just like any physician. So there is a if you get yelled at in the OR or something like that, it's because the physician, the surgeon is trying to prevent you from harming yourself or others. It's just more of an acute setting. So there's times where it comes off in the wrong way, but it's for the best. Yeah, I think that's right. absolutely right. I don't really have anything to add to that. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, you know, it's a tough, it's, I don't want to put you guys on the spot. And like, you know, obviously, uh, you have excellent mentors, and I'm sure they were always like very supportive for you. Um, but I always just like asking that question, just because um, I think I think there are stereotypes in medicine still, you know, I think um, each each uh, specialty still has like that culture, or that vibe. Um, and it's just good to hear, you know, kind of from the horse's mouth, essentially of, you know, have you guys experienced those types of difficulties? And um, did that deter you at all from, you know, applying to certain fields. And it sounds like, you know, all the good outweighs any, any negative um, in, in vascular. So, uh, you know, that's, that's really, um, you know, important to hear, I think. So, so now I'd like to transition to matching into the field. So this is kind of advice for um, any of the medical students or even pre-med students interested in vascular surgery in the future. What did you guys do to make yourself a competitive applicant for matching into vascular yeah, I think on the interview trail, you're always going to be asked, do you do research? Or if you came here, since a lot of the programs do have one or two years where you would take dedicated time to do research, they want to know what would you do? Are you more interested in biotech device design? Are you more interested in clinical research or basic science research? So even if you haven't finished the project from start to finish, they at least want you to be interested in a topic in vascular surgery or have any surgical uh, topic and have thought about it a little bit and have read some of the journal vascular surgery articles or have just seen a little bit of the literature. So that's one thing that I recommend. And then another is to just be involved in some of the SVS uh, committees or your vascular surgery interest group at your school and also find a mentor. So someone who will start meeting with people in the department, attendings in the department early on and 
have an idea of who might write those letters of recommendation and then also make sure you can rotate in vascular. I know at some schools you might have to look harder and do a community rotation or do an away rotation, but setting aside those electives, even if it is a virtual experience, some schools now with COVID have offered virtual away rotations if your own school didn't have a rotation. So yeah, finding those people, even if they're not at your school is definitely important. Yeah, I think I would I would agree with, with everything Melissa just said, and I would echo um, that finding a mentor is probably the most important thing you can do, not only for getting into or you know applying to a vascular residency, but applying to any residency um, program, and even even for those who are pre med students applying to medical school, you need to find a mentor who will advocate for you when it's time to. Um, I think that's that's absolutely the most important thing, and you need to dem obviously demonstrate interest that you, that. that and demonstrate interest in the field that you're going into and also have your mentor um, know that you're interested because you know anybody in a field will be more helpful um, to to anybody looking up to them or asking for their advice if they know that they're um, enthusiastic and interested in that field i think that's really the most important thing you can do and then i mean obviously uh, echoing what she said as well i mean for getting interviews unfortunately board scores are still important vascular surgery is a very competitive field um, there just aren't a lot of spots for applicants so board scores do still matter um, i know that step one will be will be transitioning to pass fail next year i think step two is probably going to be twice as important now um, unless that also becomes pass fail which i'm not sure if that's going to happen so that it's still you know you still have to do well on your boards and uh, i think in honors in your surgery rotation um, particularly vascular surgery goes a long way um, even though, you know, uh, the clerkship grades kind of vary by school and there's not a lot of uniformity, getting an honors in a, in a surgery rotation definitely helps a lot still. Uh, I don't know if that's going to change in the future, um, but it definitely still helps. And then, like Melissa was saying, research, you know, it doesn't have to be in vascular surgery, but they want you to, they want to know vascular is, is a, as a, as a specialty is, um, you know, rapidly growing, rapidly changing. Guidelines are being updated every year. Um, there's new devices, techniques. There's a lot of debates about open percent of vascular. There's a lot of things that are constantly changing in the vascular surgery. So with that, because of that, research is a, is a, is a, um, an essential component. Um, it, it's in a, it's, it really should be in the repertoire of every vascular surgeon uh, moving forward, in my opinion, especially academic vascular surgeon and for any residents or people or any trainees. So, you know, they want you to understand how research works and then they want you to be aware of vascular literature and what you can, you know, get involved in through local journal clubs. Like in, for example, at Loyola, there's a Chicago journal club, which is inter-institutional, inter which is monthly, and then getting involved with VSIG, um, your vascular surgery interest group as well. Uh, I actually was never involved in the Loyola VSIG um, just because I, uh, switched so late into vascular surgery, but I did start the thoracic surgery interest group at Loyola. So I was involved in, um, you know, in medical student education in some regard. And I think that's also what they look for. But I just want to say again, that I think finding a mentor who will be your advocate is the most important thing you can do. 
Absolutely. I think mentorship is, is really key in, in a lot of the specialties, but it's, it's seemingly for the, you know, uber competitive specialties such as vascular, I think just having that, that rock of support um, that you can kind of lean on and, you know, get recommendations from and just like how to apply and interview smart. I think that's, um, it's invaluable for sure. Now, in terms of like actually like rotating on vascular surgery, you know, I'm sure you guys did a sub I or two um, on the service. How do you think you stood out on that rotation and what did you do that really helped you to succeed on on vascular? Yeah, I think number one is knowing the anatomy. Definitely, we'll do a lot of angiograms where you image all of the arteries in the legs. So showing the attending that you know which artery the blockage is in and just knowing beforehand, before the surgery starts, what um, patient's chief concern is, what their medical history is, what the surgery that you're going into is, and why we're doing it. Those are just the indications for the surgery. Those are important things to know. And then on the other side of things, when we round, being willing to help make the list in the morning, following two or three patients that you really know all their medications, all of their updates from overnight. And just while we're in the room, there's always wound dressing changes, uh, having scissors, having the supplies stocked in the vascular bag, and then being helpful where you can has really helped um, the morning rounds go smoother. And then also getting to the OR, allowing the team to get to the OR faster. And then once you are in the OR, you can always be helpful by putting the Foley in, helping the patient feel comfortable, and then uh, predicting the next steps that maybe the surgeon is going to need a vessel loop or a snap or uh, adjust the lighting. Traction and counter traction are also big things for being of assist in a surgery. So making it easier for the surgeon to see what they're going to expose next really helps a sub eye stand out. And then really quick, I'm just going to interject. Can you, for the audience, like what is counter traction and traction and, and all of that? Um, you know, uh, I'd love to, love to hear from, from you guys. Yeah. So Dr. Tarani, the fellow that is at Loyola, um, always taught me that when you're bovying or cauterizing the tissue, if you're assisting, you want to take the forceps. Um, always have something in both hands. So you'd have a debakey forceps maybe in your left hand and you'd pull apart the tissue while he's um, cauterizing. So just predicting um, where he's going, like move your forceps with their forceps and predicting uh, what needs to be done to help. Yeah, so the tissue will only cut if you're providing traction. You had that tension. Yeah. I've, I've seen that a lot. And, um, you know, it's kind of like natural just to like, oh yeah, that makes sense. But then, you know, like, okay, can you be my assist on this? And then you're just like, oh, okay. I, I think I know like where, where to pull. Uh, I'm just gonna, you know, fake it till I make it here. Um, I'm sure you guys are 10 times better at it than me, but, uh, 
um, I, I just always loved hearing, you know, what, what actual tips in the OR you can, you can do. So John, do you have any other things to add? Yeah, I'd say, I mean, for third year medical student, I think there, it's actually a lot different than being a sub I in the OR. For being a third year medical student, um, I think to be, to be, to stand out in the OR, it's doing what they say, um, not messing anything up and then knowing the anatomy because that's, uh, you know, or at least know the patient and then, you know, know the anatomy. It's, I know it's difficult, especially if you've never been in a surgery before to all of a sudden be able to tell what that artery is based on this tiny little window through somebody's groin or whatever. Um, act like you're interested as well or be interested. And then, and then for a third year medical student on the floor, um, always ask your interns if you can help in any way. They're going to be usually very busy um, with notes and responding to pages about patients, you know, dressing changes or whatever it may be. Um, so you being helpful is, will help you stand out um, on a rotation. For sub-I, um, like Melissa was saying in the operating room, um, there's a transition, you know, you have to start to transition from doing what somebody says in the OR to kind of um, be more independent and predicting um, the steps. Knowing the steps to a surgery is the best way to know what comes next. So you can predict, you can ask for instruments, you know, like, uh, like Melissa was saying, you can ask for a vessel loop if you know that you're going to have to get proximal and distal control of a vessel. And then you obviously, whenever you um, pot a, a loop or a, a vessel um, where you go around it twice, you can pull up on the vessel loop and then you have to snap it with a um, mosquito or a Kelly uh, forcep or snaps. Um, so then it'll, you'll maintain traction so that the vessel will be, um, will be controlled. So just things like that. And then understanding you are now, uh, you know, if you want to be an assist, you have to know exactly what's going to happen that, you know, that at the next point so that you can be trusted to actually assist. I think third-year medical students are not really assists in the operating room just because they're usually just retracting and then once in a while trying to, and then once the cert, the, you know, the attending leaves being walked through um, clumsily how to close scan or something. So being a sub in the OR is a completely different situation. In that case, you know, you want to, you want to know the steps to the, to the surgery. Gotcha. Do you, do you have any like resources for that? Or is it sort of just like after that first month as a third year, you kind of got a hang of some of the procedures and just kind of like put that to your mind? Or did you specifically look up like, the, I, at least for me, when I was on like my surgery rotations, I remember looking up videos after videos of like things, but is there like a specific book or, or did you kind of like, uh, like a video, um, like YouTube or something like that? I think to... honestly, YouTube is one of your best resources, um, for surgery videos and for just understanding. And if there, if you have a question or need help with something, there's a video for it online. Uh, that's really, that's one of your, that's one of the best resources. Um, there are textbooks obviously that go through uh, you know, the steps of surgeries, but it's just, it just doesn't translate as easily. Yeah, I'd say once you decide or know that you want to go into vascular surgery, there are textbooks like the Atlas of Vascular Surgery that shows you the steps and also the anatomy. But um, just for a third year starting, there are a bunch of Stanford videos on YouTube. There are Gore manuals. Gore is one of the biotech device companies. So you can find a lot online just by Googling the procedure. Awesome. And now a little bit more in, in depth into the match process and, you know, let, you, know you applied, um, you, you're starting to interview, at least in the 2020 season, pretty unprecedented year with the whole, or 2021 season with the whole, um, you know, virtual interview process. 
any like tips and tricks or advice you'd give for like virtual interviews? I'm assuming it's gonna, it might be like hybrid in the future, um, but I feel like that's a, it's, it was an interesting process this year. So anything, you know, the interview process that you really would, would like to share with anybody. Um, and then how did you go about choosing like your ranking and like just even looking at programs? What, what, what is a good vascular surgery program look like? Um, what went into that kind of uh, number of applications or, or where did you select to apply? Um, what was your kind of thought process behind those things? Yeah, I think since there are so few programs, I definitely erred on the side of applying to more programs than fewer programs, regardless of location. And you'd be surprised in some of the further locations from home, they um, it's still an amazing program and you should still consider regardless of location. So that was my approach to the number of programs and then to the quality. You always want to ask on the interview trail about their mix between endovascular and open procedures. Ideally, you'd have exposure to everything you might see as an attending during your five-year residency. So finding a program that is at least 60% endo, 40% open procedures, and then if they have hybrid ORs where, with more um, advanced imaging technology, and then you'd want to know if they have an aortic program or a limb salvage program. Those are kind of the two pillars of vascular surgery and centers that if they're already established, they'll recruit more, more patients that way. And then programs that have VAs, at a VA, you can actually get a lot of autonomy and a lot of um, operating time as junior, junior residents as well. So uh, if you wanna see private practice, you can also go to look for programs that have rotations in private practice as well. John? Yeah, I think when you're looking for programs, I mean, there are so few programs of vascular surgery um, and they're all accredited. Uh, and it's such a small community that vast in the sense that vascular surgery is such a small community that you're, you're going to be a very well-trained vascular surgeon no matter where you go. Um, you know, within the ACGME accredited um, integrated vascular surgery programs in the United States. I think one big thing that applicants should keep in mind is how much research they want to do, how much time they want to spend training. There are several programs that are um, have two years of uh, required um, or, or um, allocated research time that's um, oftentimes fully funded. However, that lengthens your your training to to seven years from five. And you know if you're if you're not really into research as much as uh, you'd like to be, then maybe avoiding those programs or not or not prioritizing those programs, I should say. As of now, the uh, vascular surgery integrated residency is five clinical years. And if you'd like to get out practicing within, within five years, then I prioritize, prioritize those programs. And then like Melissa was saying, there are other um, details about programs that, you know, depending on what, what aspects of the field you're more interested in, it would help you prioritize, you know, like how much endovascular do versus open. However, most programs get have adequate um, open numbers as well. But if they have, you know, if they do the complex aortic procedures, if they, if there's somebody, if there's a faculty member at an institution who has um, IDEs, which are the, uh, you know, the, have the uh, ability to be involved in 
in uh, device clinical trials. Um, that's always, those are always interesting and uh, it's, it's great training for, um, for, for trainees who want to get involved in that later. And then I really say limb salvage is important um, if you want to be involved in, in a lot of, if you want to do a lot of peripheral work, a lot of wound care, a lot of um, limb salvage. And also depending a lot of some programs are more aggressive with their limb salvage program in the sense that they're more aggressive with open surgery versus endovascular. So it's really just what, how you prioritize. And I think one of the most interesting things as well is word of mouth and, and looking at faculty to see if there's, if there's you know, projects or faculty members that have similar backgrounds than you, as you or similar research backgrounds as you, and you'd be interested in working with them, then that could be something you prioritize. I think, after, you know, when you're interviewing, it's important to look at the, it's difficult with, with virtual interviews, obviously, but to look at the culture of a program um, and see how everybody gets along and how everybody communicates. And if you get a good feeling from a program, I would never ignore that because, um, you know, it means that you like the program, they probably liked you. If you get a bad feeling, I would also never ignore that feeling because if you get a bad feeling about a program, it usually means that there's something that's, uh, you know, that's, that's not working with you or there, there's, uh, you don't work well with them for some reason. And I think that our, our subconscious mind is, uh, Malcolm Gladwell would agree with me. Actually, I would agree with Malcolm Gladwell that our subconscious or unconscious mind is much smarter than we are consciously. So there are a lot of feelings that we get about programs when we're interviewing or when we're reading up on them. Um, and I would never ignore those feelings. Uh, I think your gut is very, you know, is very good at communicating with you. And uh, I think you should go with your gut and a lot of, uh, if you're ever wondering, you know, if you're ever between two programs or if you have weird feelings about programs. That being said, when you make a decision about where to apply, um, you should obviously make a more calculated decision, but never ignore your gut as well. That's great. And how were the how were the interviews themselves like virtually? Did you did, were you able to get that like gut feeling in you know when you were on the on the, like the virtual interviews? I feel like when I was interviewing for medical school, at least I got to like you know fly out to places and like like tan tangibly look at and like you know not touch the ORs or you know touch the chairs, but like just just be in the presence of like you know in in the actual environment that I would potentially be training for four years. So. Were you able to get that um, that sense in virtual interviews, uh, and then any other like advice that you would give for someone interviewing in vascular surgery? Yeah, I felt that in the virtual interviews, it was really important to go to the night before resident meet and greet. Some programs did not offer enough time with residents, and that's who you can really figure out the culture and ask more open, truthful questions to. So I would take advantage of that when you're deciding, you know, we couldn't see these schools, but what's it actually like operating with these faculty and whatnot. So in the moment, in the virtual interviews, it was harder to connect. You don't get that handshake. You can only see part of their office and part of the tour of the hospital might be on a video platform, for example. So it was really awkward sometimes too, and you would be cut off in mid-sentence. So my advice is to keep an eye on the timer because they will just throw you out of the Zoom room and you'll be cut off mid-sentence. So it's important to get your important ideas out quickly and then try to try your best to connect and find common ground with the interviewers. 
Yeah, I would agree with all that. I don't think I would add anything to that at all. Nice. And, and I guess kind of taking everything in total. So just general advice about, you know, medical school and, and just kind of your journey. If someone wants to, you know, um, you know, in your shoes, walk your path, uh, you know, become a vascular surgeon, match into vascular surgery. Um, what advice would you give to any of the like pre-meds medical students as they move through their training? This could be anything from tips and tricks on like rotations, board preps, you know, how to even get into medical school, burnout, you know, just really anything, um, you know, just your general advice. And yeah, I'd say believe in yourself and don't let anything discourage you from becoming a vascular surgeon, if that's your dream and keep an open mind as well. I, in the first couple years of medical school, I knew I wanted to do surgery, but then I was a little turned off at first. Not only when I shadowed, I felt woozy, lightheaded. I had some doubts that I could even be a surgeon. So just be, being conscious of those feelings, but not letting your psyche uh, deter you. Or if you maybe didn't see female surgeons at your school, not letting the lifestyle or what they say deter you. And then, yeah, really focusing on your studies and not over overstretching your uh, commitments. So like pick one or two clubs, like John and I just did the surgery clubs and a few others, but really focus on research and your grades and enjoying medical student life. Um, you know, vascular surgery isn't everything. We're going to work really hard in the five years of residency. So yeah, enjoy your time. Yeah, I would say just for any for any medical students or anybody listening right now, it's like wellness is like one of the most important things to avoid burnout, to uh, be more productive when you're studying, just to have a better outlook on life, to avoid, you know, anxiety, depression, all those things. I think if you like, first and foremost, you need to look out for yourself, you need to take time for yourself, you need to make sure you have an adequate like social network as far as friends, classmates, family back home, um, you need to make sure you keep in contact with people constantly. And then if you have a hobby, or you're able to exercise something, whatever makes you happy, you need to be able to do that. Um, make time for that, because it'll, you'll, you'll feel better, um, you'll have a better outlook on life. You'll do better in school. You'll do better on your clerk, on your boards, on your clerkships, and it's a really it's a great way to avoid avoid burning out. Um, you know, it, a lot of people always say, you know, how it's you know, if you're when you go to medical school or if you're going into medical school, how you really just have to put your head down and and study for four years, and that's the only way to be successful. But it's absolutely not. You know, obviously, you need to study the way that you know whatever ways work for you. But you also need to take time for yourself um, because I think that's equally as important to being successful not only in, in medical school, but in residency and uh, moving forward as a physician, because at the end of the day, it, it only gets harder. Um, so if you're having trouble, you know, if you're not able to take time for yourself in medical school, you won't be able to do it in residency and you won't be able to do it in, uh, you know, when you're in attending or when you're in practice, you know, and it's only going to get worse too, as far as if you, if you can't take time for yourself. So I think wellness is one of the most important things. Yeah, I think that's really all I have to add from, a, from general advice. 
Well, thank you so much again. And, you know, if you guys are willing, um, what's the best way to reach you if um, students or, you know, other residents or whoever have any other further questions? Yeah, I'm actually on Twitter. I think that's a really good platform to find other vascular surgeons. So you can follow me on Twitter and then also my school email address. And just there's also a SVS Connect. Uh, John and I, we can become mentors eventually in attending life. And then you can find us and connect with us through the Society of Vascular Surgery uh, mentorship program that they're establishing. Yeah, I would agree. I would say Twitter. Um, I actually just made a like a professional Twitter for vascular surgery after I matched because uh, it's just um, and it seems like everything is actually moving toward Twitter, uh, especially within the vascular surgery world. It's a great way to connect with you know fellow residents, um, with attendings, and then with medical students who are thinking about applying to the field. I would say uh, definitely Twitter is probably one of the best ways at this point. And then my my email. Um, I guess we can put all this in the in the notes, right, for the podcast. Mm -hmm. Like, yeah. So uh, we, I I can put my email in there as well. I would give out my cell phone, but I'm not going to do that. <laughs> That's okay. I understand. You'll be getting a uh, you know texts from other residents and nurses and, yeah, exactly. and everything. So we don't want to flood you and your pager <laughs> <laughs> in the future. All right. Well, thank you so much, guys. Um, again, congratulations. Uh, you guys both deserve it. Um, some of the nicest people and smartest people, uh, for sure. Um, and just again, uh, congratulations and uh, hope hope you all in, 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 were interested and excited to pursue vascular surgery. Maybe it's for you, but uh, you know, if it is, definitely reach out to Melissa and John. Um, thanks again, guys. Thank you for having us. Yeah, thanks, Alex. Thanks for listening to this episode. This wouldn't be possible without the support from our listeners. Please rate, review, and subscribe. We appreciate donations to help fund the production of this podcast. To support us, go to medicuspodcast.com, where you can additionally find show notes, links, and information about our guests. We are at Medicus Podcast on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. If you have any questions, comments, or episode suggestions, submit them on our website. This podcast is intended for general information purposes only and does not constitute the practice of medicine. No patient-doctor relationship is formed, and the content of this podcast is not intended to be a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment.